0: We're starting a new series today. The title of the new series is The Power of the Tongue. The Power of the Tongue. I know all the, all the ladies were like, oh no. And all the men were like, yes, this is going to be great. There's no greater power, good or bad, than the words that come out of our mouth. The greatest weapon that we've been given is our tongue. It's a weapon that can protect a reputation or a weapon that can destroy a reputation with just one sentence. Our tongue is a tool that can be used to cause relationships to be built up and come together, or it's a tool that can cut relationships in half, cause strife, divorce, and on and on it goes. The longest discourse in the entire Bible on the tongue is found in James chapter 3. And it says in James 3, if you can control your tongue, you are mature. And it's so funny, a lot of Christians believe that they are mature if uh, they know a whole lot about the Bible. Or they think they're mature if they use the word Holy Ghost in every sentence. Or they think they're mature if they can give people advice and wisdom as they're walking by each other in church. But maturity is actually biblically if you can control your tongue. It says a small bit in the mouth of a thousand pound animal like a horse can turn it whichever way the bit goes. A small rudder makes a huge ship go wherever the pilot chooses. Watch this. Even in the tough times of life. In the rough winds of life, you can get out of that storm simply by getting your mouth going in the right direction. The tongue is a small thing, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. A tongue is a world of wickedness. It corrupts the entire body. It can set your whole life on fire. No man can tame the tongue. Now that that tells us you can never tame your tongue without God. Man cannot tame his tongue or woman. Only God can help us tame our tongue. You'll never find an unbeliever that's got a pure mouth. You'll never find someone that doesn't know Jesus that has a clean and positive mouth. It is full of deadly poison. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. It's not right. Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you cannot draw fresh water from a salty spring. I don't think we realize how much of our world is created based on the words that come out of our mouth. When you got married, marriage isn't. I feel like I love you. Marriage is a vow, commitment with words. Lawyers, policemen, judge, doctors—they're sworn in by words. Even your salvation, the fact that if you're going to heaven or not, is based on Romans ten nine. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised the dead, you will be saved. Salvation is a mouth issue. If it comes out of your mouth, um, uh, our words can destroy a person in one sentence or they can change a person's life for the positive in one sentence. A friend of mine here in church told me uh, just last week that he was walking by some construction going on somewhere and he saw someone that was just really down in the dumps. And so he went over to him and said, well, can I pray with you? What's going on? And the guy just broke down and said, I have a daughter. And she weighed, she weighed about 105, 106 pounds. And some girls at school called her One word. They said one word to her. Just one word. She stopped eating food for six weeks. She's down to 60 pounds in a hospital. And the husband is so, the father is so distraught. He doesn't even know what to do because she refuses to eat. Here's why. One word was spoken over her. A tiny spark set the entire body on fire. The opposite can be true as well. Years ago, when I first started preaching, I had no idea if I was good at this or not, or if I was, I had no idea. And this couple came to church one Sunday from out of town, and they were older couple, very well-to-do. And afterwards, they walked up, and the husband, um, he said, you know, I only came to, my wife forced me to come to church, you know. I told her, we go out of town, you know, if she wants to, we'll go to church. He looked at me and he said, I own a chain, a franchise of businesses all across the eastern seaboard. And he said, if you ever quit preaching, I'll pay you whatever you want to train my sales team. And then he walked away and I thought, what do I know about sales? And then the wife said to me, if you can sell him, Jesus, you can sell anybody, anything. (laughs) That one compliment, I lived off of that compliment for two years of my life. I could not stop thinking about, wow, this person thinks I'm good at this. All with their words. So part one for your notes today, part one, I want to talk to you about this, having a tongue of faith, a tongue of faith. Hebrews 11, one, the King James says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen or unseen. In other words, faith is when you believe it so strongly, you talk it out. It comes out of your mouth. You believe it. If I were to ask all of you in this room, the car that you drove to church in. Do you expect that car to crank up and get you home today? All of you would say yes, you believe it so strongly. It's funny, we have so much faith in a piece of equipment made by man, but when I say things about God's word, do you believe that God can do this and God can do this? You'll say, "Eh, I don't know if that's for me. Maybe if I would be a better person, then maybe he could do this and this. We have more faith verbally in a man-made piece of metal than we do the word of God in our life. words created the universe. In Genesis 1:2, the earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now this is so amazing to me. Watch this. There was darkness. There was an unformed world void. Listen. The Spirit of God was there and nothing happened. The Spirit of God was present. Nothing changed. Do you know the Spirit of God is in this room today? That does not mean anything good is going to happen. Just because the spirit of God is there doesn't mean anything's going to change. What did God do when he saw this darkness? Did he call Gabriel over and say, Gabriel, man, look at all this darkness. I want light so bad. What am I going to do? Did he say, Michael? Look, I wish I had people in a world that was put together. I wish there was some order to the world. I wish there were plants and trees. What are we going to do about all this? No, the Bible says in verse three, that God said out of his mouth, let there be light and light came at 186,000 miles per second. Here's what happened when he spoke it. That's when the spirit of God moved and worked in their area. In, in, In verse six, God said, let the water be divided. It was done. Verse 9, God said, let the dry land appear. It was so. Verse 11, God said, let the earth bring forth grass and it was so. What I'm teaching you today isn't just something for us. This is what God Almighty does when he wants something to appear in the natural. That's what faith is all about. It starts in our hearts. It starts with a hope, with a dream. And once we speak it out, don't talk about the darkness. Call forth the light. Don't talk about the problem. Talk about the solution. If you're hurt today, call in some healing with your words. If you're offended, call in healing. If you're insecure, call in confidence. If you're addicted, don't talk about how you're addicted. Talk about how you're going to be free. Talk about freedom through Christ. Don't ever go around saying, I'm an alcoholic. I mean, I've been an alcoholic for 20 No. You say, God's healing me. I'm free from this. Even if you're not, keep saying it, and sooner or later, I promise it'll come to pass. So, three points for your notes. Point number one is this faith over fear. Amen. Faith over fear. Um, <clears throat> faith and fear are the exact same thing, okay? They're the exact same thing. They are both asking you to talk about something that has not yet happened. They're both asking you to say things and to discuss and to believe something that has not taken place, something that you have not seen in the natural yet. Um, There was this lady uh, who always battled fear. Someone was breaking into her house. So every night she'd tell her husband, I think there's a burglar downstairs. I think I I hear a burglar. I think our house is being broken into. And so about once a week, the husband would, you know, just as kind as he was, he'd go downstairs for his wife and check all the doors and check the locks and the windows and come back up and say, honey, there's not a burglar in the house. This went on for 30 years every night. Honey, there's a burglar. I know there's a burglar in the house. Our house is going to get broken into. What are we going to do? There's a burglar in the house. He'd go down every week just to try to ease her mind. There's not a burglar. After 30 years of doing this, she did it once again. There's a burglar downstairs. So he walked downstairs like he had done hundreds of times before. This time he was staring down the barrel of a gun. The burglar said, shut your mouth and give me your valuables. And so he took off his watch and he gave him his wallet and the burglar turned around to leave. And the husband said, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't leave yet. You need to come upstairs and meet my wife. She's been talking about you for 30 years. (laughs) (laughs) Psalms 191 verse two says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. Then he will cover me deliver me, and protect me. I need you to see the connection. I will say, He will do. I will say, He will create. I will speak it out, He will form it. He will do it. Now, you could read this in the opposite, okay? I will not say of the Lord that He's my refuge and my fortress. Then He will not cover me, deliver me, and protect me. Just because the Spirit of God is available doesn't mean anything's going to change in your life. You have the number one way that we release our faith or our fear is with our words. Fear wants you to talk about COVID. Fear wants you to talk about the pain you've experienced in life. Fear wants you to talk about the depression. Fear wants you to talk about what if this and what if that. Even if you do have thoughts like that, don't give them life by speaking them out. The reason that we have praise and worship at the beginning of the service is not just because we're talented musicians, We do it because we're trying to get you to speak things out that will build your faith. We're trying to get you to create an atmosphere so that when the message is brought in a convicting way, your heart is open to receive. But a lot of you are just spectators and not participators. And you wonder when you leave here, there's no change in your life because it never came out of your mouth. It can come out of my mouth all day long. You have to be the one. We have faith confessions before the sermon so that you will speak out. God's got a plan for my life because sooner or later, the more you speak it, the more you're going to see it. Um, In the Old Testament, David was asked to take his brothers some food. They were in the Israeli army doing exciting things. And so David traveled a long way when he got to where his brothers were. All the Israelite warriors and they have been trained to do battle, they're all running in fear because the Philistines have this huge, tall giant of a man named Goliath who's taunting God's people. In 1 Samuel 17, 16, it says, Every morning and every evening, Goliath came out to taunt the people of God. This is exactly how fear works, by the way. It works every morning and every evening. Yeah. It seems like when you're at work and you're doing house stuff, you don't really think about it. But in the morning, when you wake up, fear comes across and says, today's going to be a bad day. Fear says you're not going to enjoy work today. Things aren't going to go well. You go to bed right when you're going to lay your head to sleep. All of a sudden, those fearful thoughts, you'll never get married. You'll never be able to retire. You're probably going to get sick and die of COVID on. The president's going to destroy your life. You know, he's, he's much more powerful than Jesus is. And so you talk about how bad and what are we going to do about him? Do you know that, no, that every single person in the Israeli army called Goliath a giant except for David? Everybody talked about how big he is, how strong he must be, how much his armor weighs. Everyone called him a giant. David never once talked about how big he was. David never once talked about how strong he was. David never called him a giant. In fact, David called him a heathen. He said, you don't serve God, so you're not on my side. Too many times in life, we're always talking about the darkness instead of calling forth the light in our life. David ran up to Goliath, and in verse 46, and I recommend as a side note, if you ever get in a fight, don't tell the person what you're going to do before you do it. In this case, it worked fine, but in verse 46, David said, Today the Lord will help me defeat you. I'm about to kill you, knock you down, cut off your head. And feed your body to the birds. Do you know what happened in the next 120 seconds of David's life? He killed Goliath, knocked them down, cut off his head with his own sword, and fed his body to the birds. He prophesied his future. Yeah, right. He spoke it into existence. Don't use your words to describe your situation. Use your words to change your situation. Hallelujah. About 10 years ago, um, I had a small church in uh, Brook Road, a little storefront. And this girl was coming to church and she really enjoyed it. So she, 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 she came to me when I said, I really want to bring my mom. She's got a lot of problems, but I think it would help her. And so she brought her mom to church. Her mom was in her 50s. And um, her mom looked like a very nice lady, you know, uh, very quiet, just calm lady. And I went up to greet her and she immediately started talking about things she was afraid of. She said, I'm so afraid I'm not going to enjoy the service today. And I'm so afraid I'm going to be uncomfortable. I said, no, I promise you'll be fine. We'll take good care of you. Next Sunday, I went to greet her before service. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. Things aren't going well at work. Next Sunday, I went to greet her. I'm afraid I'm going to get sick. Everybody's getting the flu. I'm afraid I'm going to get it too. So I started to avoid her. When I saw her on this side of the church and I'm greeting people, I would walk on the other side. But she would somehow get up and corner me before service every Sunday to tell me what she was afraid of that week. I'm afraid that this is I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. I'm afraid this is going to happen. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my house. On and on it went within six months everything that she had spoken out came to pass she lost her house she had to stay with her daughter lost her job things didn't go well at work she ended up getting some kind of a weird sickness the doctors couldn't figure out she's in the hospital dying i went to visit her she looked like nothing but skin and bones lost so much weight and i said to her in the hospital i said listen i believe that if we believe we're going to pray right now in faith i believe that you're going to walk out of this hospital Healed, completely healed. I believe that your life's going to change and God's going to give you such a great future, way better than your past. I believe everything's going to go well for you. And on every, she took this thing off of her face that was helping her breathe. And the last thing I heard her say was, I'm afraid I'm going to die in this room and never leave this hospital. Two days later, she died in that room, never left hospital. I preached her funeral a week later. Now listen, her faith worked exactly right. Her faith worked exactly the way God intended it, other than the fact she just did it backwards. She believed, she hoped, she spoke it out over and over again, and she got exactly what it was. She said, every time you speak, either God and his angels are going to work or Satan and his demons are going to work. But something is happening in the spirit realm, and sooner or later it starts in the spirit realm and it always ends up in the natural realm. Point number two is this, faith over feelings. Faith over feelings, no matter what you, if you feel old, don't talk about how old you feel. If you feel the wrinkles coming on, don't talk about the wrinkles coming on. If you feel depressed, don't talk about it. If you feel angry, don't talk about it. If you're frustrated about the president, don't talk about it. All you're doing is making things worse. Joel 3.10 says, let the weak say, I'm strong. In other words, when you feel weak, the Bible says, even though you feel it, you should still say you're strong. It doesn't say, let the weak talk about the weakness. Let the weak talk about the pain. Let the weak talk about how things aren't going well. It says, even if you feel the negative, you should still speak out the positive. Um, There was this lady who had been married, her and her husband, for I think 20, 30 years. And she finally wanted a divorce. She wasn't happy. So she goes to a lawyer and says, listen, um, I really want to make my husband pay. I've had a miserable life being married to him. No fun. No, no, no good things. I, I, don't, I hate him. I want him to hurt so bad. I want to really let him have it. What can I do to cause him the most excruciating pain? And the lawyer said, well, I got an idea. Here's what you need to do. For the next three months, you need to do everything you can to make him feel like he's the greatest man in the world. You need to compliment his looks, tell him how handsome he is, thank him for being a hard worker, his faithfulness over the years, what a great dad. He's been on and on. You just speak it to him day after day after day. And after three months and he feels like everything's great, everything's perfect, you pull out those divorce papers and you slap it right down in front of him and that'll really get him. The lady said, oh, that's a great idea. I'm going to let him have it. And so she went home and that very night, she started working hard. Honey, you're the greatest husband in the whole world. You're so handsome. I'm so glad to be married to you the next day. Oh, we've had such a great life together. I can't wait to just continue living, retire together one day the next day. You're such a faithful man, a hard worker. You always take care of the house so well. You're so good to our kids. On and on she did it for three months, for four months. For five months, the lawyer calls her up after five months and says, hey, what's going on? I thought you were gonna be calling me back. Uh, Did you give them the divorce papers? You ready to leave your husband? She said, divorce, are you crazy? We have the greatest marriage we've ever had. (laughs) Everything's great. Isaiah 57, 19 says, I create the fruit of the lips. Listen, if your home is filled with bitter fruit, it's because you're speaking out bitter seeds. If your home is filled with strife, it's coming from somebody's mouth. When you drive home, you should have this sense of such relief that you're going to walk into a place where you can feel so much faith and joy and peace. If you have the slightest bit of anxiety, when you're going to the place that you live, something's wrong and it's because of somebody's mouth going in the wrong direction. Even if you feel these things, don't let it out. Talk about the solution. You can literally talk yourself from bitter fruit to sweet fruit and everything in your life. Will change. The atmosphere of your home is based on your words. Yeah. It's based on the words that you allow to be spoken in that home. The shows you watch, the music you listen to, all of that is either building faith or fear. There's a woman in the New Testament in Matthew 9. She was bleeding for 12 years. I mean, just constant blood. She spent all of her money on doctors trying to get healed and and none of the doctors could fix her, took all of her money, left her sick. Life was not good for her. She felt weak. She felt embarrassed. She felt hopeless. She felt lonely. But instead of talking about her feelings, she started talking about the solution. She heard that Jesus was coming to town. And in Matthew 9:21, it says this. She kept saying to herself, I know when I get to Jesus, I'll be healed. She said it so much one day she stopped eating. All oh, that Briar's ice cream, put it back in the freezer. Next day, I know when I get to Jesus, I'll be healed. She said it so much, she turned off the reruns of NCIS. She opened up the blinds, let the sun in. I know when I get to Jesus, I'll be healed. It created energy on the inside. It gave her so much strength, she left her house. I know when I get to Jesus, I'll be healed. She saw Jesus walking by and there was such a crowd of people around him. She pressed through the crowd. I know when I get to Jesus, I'll be healed. The end of her finger touched the hem of his garment. And in verse 22, Jesus said this, Daughter, it wasn't your pastor's faith. It wasn't your mother's faith. It wasn't your best friend's faith. It was your faith that you created in your home it built up this belief that you would be healed by me and at that very moment she became well she bypassed her feelings and she went straight to the solution romans 10 17 says this faith comes by hearing the word of god He said john paul i tried what you're saying for three days and nothing changed in my life You've been saying the wrong thing for decades. It's going to take some consistency once you keep saying it, I promise that you will see it. You know, this is one of the most important scriptures, I think, in the entire Bible. So important that with my five children, I would pay them money to memorize scripture when they were little. A lot of parents pay their kids to, you know, cut the grass or give them allowance to keep their room tidy or whatever it is. And we did that. But I made sure if they ever wanted anything new, a new outfit or a new toy, or whatever, they had to memorize scripture and then I'd give them money and they could spend their money like that. Because I think I want them to learn how to live their life based on the word and not feelings. Too many people today think you just do whatever feels good. Don't do what feels good. Feeling good will get you into trouble. You do what the Word of God says is what you do. But you'll never live it if it's not on the inside of you. So all put on, man, they learned, they learned probably 50 scriptures by the time they were 8 years old. 50 scriptures they had memorized. A few weeks ago, I had all five kids. My oldest one, his wife, their kids were there. The whole family was at the house. And so I pulled out some old family videos and I videotaped every single thing from birth until now, any event, any Christmas, every I mean, to have everything on the film. And for you young people, I didn't pull a video camera out of my pocket to video things. I was like, you know, you see one of those news anchors out filming a storm on the, on the you know, and they got this big old camera. That's what we had to do back in the day. We had this giant like TV studio camera, you know. And so I've been to everything. And so the kids are all there, and we're watching some old videos. And all of a sudden, one of the videos. Um, you hear me saying, um, Romans 10, 9, and, which, and the kids are all around the house, and they start screaming out. You know, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus will be right. And I'll say, you know, 1 Corinthians 3, 2. And, this, and, so, we're watching, and so we're all laughing. Finally, my 21-year-old, Zach, who was there, he said, oh, I'll turn it off. I still know my scriptures. And he said, go. And so I call out, and he just quoted out loud. Quote, 21 years old. It's been 11 years since we did that. He still has the word on the inside of him. It'll change your life um, all from from age zero to probably nine years old. Um, the main decoration of my kids room was a huge scripture on the wall that was painted on their wall um, with their their name in the scripture. And it was based on their personality. Um, Eli was always the happiest baby in the world, so his scripture was, God fills Eli's mouth with laughter and his lips with joyful shouting. It's in the book of Job. Zach, he was always wanting to fight, and he he always argued so, he should have been a lawyer, but he was so good. And so his scripture was, no weapon formed against Zach will prosper, and they had the scriptures up. And you know, you think as a parent, is this really doing anything? Like, is it really making a difference? And one day, Zach was maybe nine years old, and he's in the bathroom, he's got a stomach bug, and he's throwing up, and I'm in there wiping his forehead and giving him Gatorade, and he's so miserable, and I'm praying for him, and little Eli, he was probably five or six years old, um, he, he took a napkin and some Crayola markers, and he wrote a note, and he slipped it under the bathroom door. And Zach's throwing up, and we look and say, what is that? And I pull it out, and it says, um, no weapon formed against Zach will prosper. <laughs> you know, every Sunday I get here to preach, very rarely do I ever feel anointed. Very rarely do I. In fact, I usually feel exhausted or frustrated. You know, I'm very detailed. So if, if there's anything that's not perfect, if the chairs aren't where they need to be, if the lights are I get very frustrated. And so my weekend starts after church. My, my day off is on Monday. So I, I never come to church feeling anointed. I never feel like I'm going to help somebody. I never feel like God's going to use me. Yet without fail, every Sunday before I speak, I say Luke 418, the Lord has anointed me. And it continues to go to preach the good news to the poor, to heal those, to bind up wounds, all on goes. Even if I don't feel it, I say it out. I say it out because I believe God does have a great plan for my life. Regardless of my past, God does have a great future for me. I'm anointed by God. You speak it out and sooner or later, it'll happen in your life. Whether you feel it or not. Last point is this. Faith over facts. Faith over facts. Man, the facts tell us that the doctor's report says it's not going to happen. The facts tell us you don't have enough money to be able to purchase that dream home. The facts tell us that all the experts say there's no way this can happen. You know what else the facts say? The facts say that it's impossible for a man to defy gravity. Yet it says in Matthew 14, 29, that Peter walked on water. The facts say that it's impossible for a human being to live inside of a fish. But Jonah 1, says that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. The facts say that it's impossible for somebody to be able to outrun a horse. But in 1 Kings 18, 46, Elijah outrun a horse for 20 miles. The facts say it's impossible for you to be in one city and the blink of an eye all of a sudden be in another city. But in Acts 8, 39, it says God transported Philip to another city. Don't deny the facts. Just get in agreement with God. I'm not telling you to deny the facts and act like a fool. And No, that's not true. That may be true what they're saying, but it's not the truth. Don't deny the facts. Get in agreement with God. You know, I I can't I can't ever preach a sermon on on a tongue of faith without telling you my favorite story that you've heard a hundred times. And if you stay at Solid Rock, you'll hear it a hundred times over again. Um, My fourth son, Asher, uh, when he was born, about three months old, I was holding him. We were outside and all of a sudden he just started screaming, just screaming at the top of his lungs. I mean, nothing would soothe him, no bottle, no rest, nothing, just continued screaming. So I ran into the emergency room and they said, oh, he must have a pinched nerve, he'll be okay, just take him home. Went back home, continual screaming. Non, I mean, screaming, nonstop. I go back to the emergency room at Grand Strand, they said, oh, he must have pulled a muscle, he'll be okay, you know, overnight, everything will be fine. Went back home, still screaming. Finally, I go back and I said, I'm not leaving this hospital till you find out what's wrong with my baby. And so they did a spinal tap, they did a bunch of x-rays, they couldn't figure it out, so they put us in an ambulance and sent us to MUSC. For the next several weeks at MUSC, every day they continued to do test after test after test. They x-rayed every single bone in this body, over a hundred x-rays, to see if there was something broken. CAT scan after CAT scan, they did four other spinal taps. And you know, MUSC, there's, there's teachers and there's students, and so they were, I found out later, they were doing things just to, Teach the students, and you know, put my baby through a lot of misery, but trying to figure out what was going on. Finally, after about three weeks of tests, they did an MRI, and as you can see on the picture here, they found a malformation in his spinal cord, underneath his brain. The facts started coming in. The facts said there's never been a baby in the entire world that has a malformation in that location at that size we've never seen it we've contacted colleagues all over the world the facts are we've never seen anything like this more facts started coming in he's probably not going to make it out of here go in and prepare yourself if there's somebody you need to talk to your child's probably going to die here in this hospital the facts started coming in even if we do a surgery he'll never walk again if the surgery is successful he'll never be able to move his neck the facts started coming in nurses and these people are intelligent They mean well. They're the experts. They know so much more than me. Yes, those are true facts. (coughs) But it's not the truth. (coughs) Sorry. So after about three months, two and a half months of being there, they said, we're going to prepare him for surgery. We don't know what's going to happen. Like we told you, prepare for the worst. If he makes it out, he'll never walk He'll never move his neck again. You talk about fear. You talk about feelings of hopelessness. I haven't eaten, I haven't slept in weeks. And every day I'm watching my baby's body get worse. After two weeks, his one leg stopped working. Two more weeks, the next leg. Two more weeks, his arm. Two more weeks, the next arm. Little by little, he's going into a coma until it got so bad, his vocal cords stopped working. The last thing that worked on him was his eyes. He would look at me 24 hours a day and you could tell he wanted so bad to scream because he was in pain. But his body wouldn't allow it. So the pain was just coming out of his eyes. We didn't know what was going to happen. We, we were preparing for the worst, like the doctor said. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting in that hospital room. I'm thinking, God, I have no faith. I'm so angry with you. How could you let this happen? Is this because of my past? Is this because of something I've done wrong? Is that why you're doing this to me? to the nurses station I said I need all the paper you have I need a permanent marker I need some tape I went back in the hospital room I didn't have my bible with me we got in an ambulance and just came there I didn't have a phone with internet back then nothing like that all I had was the word of God inside of me so I sat there and I thought about every single promise from God's word that I could remember and I would write it out and put Asher's name in it and tape it somewhere in the room we have pictures here. <laughs> that was just a few days before surgery. Go to the next picture. All over the room, all you saw was promises from God. Asher's blessed. Everything he does will prosper and succeed. Asher will grow in wisdom and favor with both God and man. Asher's the apple of God's eye. All things work for them together for them that love the Lord. And Asher loves Jesus. Asher is happy, healthy, and all. God's got a great plan for Asher's life. You can go to the next one. <clears throat> on the clock, Asher's blessed with long, healthy life and God and good, godly parents and friends. Next one. All over the room, the blood of Jesus surrounds Asher at all times. Asher, with wisdom, faith, where Asher was like wisdom, favor, God man, Asher was supernatural. Healing, no man can explain. Next one, you couldn't see anything. If you go in the bathroom, the mirror was covered. You look at the clock, even his hospital bed. If you go to the next one here, his hospital bed had the scriptures all over it. And I'm there, and I'm not trying to, to, to racially profile anybody. But the day of surgery, the one doctor came in who had worked with us every day, but this new doctor, they called him from another country came in and he had a turban on his head. And as soon as he walked in the room, he was disgusted with all the scriptures. He said, this is a hospital room. You can't do this. This isn't right. And the nurses ran. They said, it's it's their their baby boy. Just let it be. It's okay. He said, I can't believe y'all allow this in here. The scriptures were all over his hospital bed, and they wheeled him out for surgery. It was going to be a six-hour surgery. I'll never forget, as they were wheeling him out in this doctor with a turban, the scriptures are just flapping in the wind as they go. (laughs) I thought for sure when they brought him back, they'd be gone. All the scriptures were still on the bed when they brought him back. When the surgery was over, they came to us and they said, listen, it went better than expected. They said it went so well, we wanna put your son in the medical journals and send it all over the world with your permission and the pictures and all the stuff we learned. They said, if the surgery went as well as we think, it's gonna take three to six months for us to figure out if he's ever gonna walk or if he's ever gonna be able to talk or function or move his neck, it's gonna take three to six months. So plan on staying in the hospital for another half a year. Three days after his surgery, they sent us home, and everything's been totally fine since then. <laughs> He's so strong. The other day, he weighs. He, he weighs on. <laughs> He weighs 106 pounds and he deadlifted 195 pounds the other day. Okay, listen, you can do the same thing in your life. You have a home, you have a bedroom, you have a bathroom. You can get the word of God out there. If you want to see change, you got to change what's coming out of your mouth. We had zero, it was nothing but fear. Nothing but anxiety. Do You know, everything changed once we started speaking out the word of God. Everything changed. It changed the lives of the people around us. I cannot, if you ever try to tell me it's a coincidence, I will touch you in the face. (laughs) There is no doubt in my mind. The only reason my child is alive. The only reason. It's because the word of God is more powerful than a two-edged sword. It carries power everywhere it goes. Last story, I'll let you go. Um, God promised Abraham and Sarah that they were going to have a baby. But they were much too old. The fact said there's no way it can happen for you. In Romans four seventeen, it says, God told Abraham, I have made you the father of God said this before they ever had a child. You're a father. Before they ever had a baby. And it goes on to say, God calls the things that are not as though they were. He speaks of the non-existent things as if it already existed. Now, just because God said it doesn't mean it's going to happen. Just because God promised it doesn't mean it's going to happen. God had to get Abraham and Sarah's faith going in the same direction as what God said would happen. So how did God build their faith to see their dream come to pass? Here's what he did. He changed the words they were hearing. In Genesis 17, 5 5 and 15, it says this. Your name is no longer Abram. Your new name is Abraham, which means father of many nations. Sarah, that's not your name anymore. Your new name is Sarah, meaning princess. Now, anytime somebody said, hey, Abram, come over here. Oh, man, that's not my name anymore. My name's Abraham. Father? God said it. He said I'm a father, so call me Abraham. Abraham. Sarah, can you come over for dinner? Oh, my name's not Sarah. My name's Sarah. Princess? You're ro- do you feel like royalty? No. Do you, do, 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 you, do you think of yourself? Not yet. But God said, I'm a princess. Yeah. They kept hearing those words over and over and over and over. For 20 years, they heard that. It changed their faith. And they had the baby that they dreamed of. Isaac was the fruit of. Of the words that they had heard for 20 years. Listen, if you have to discipline your mouth for 20 years, it's worth doing it. And you know, I'm closing with this, and this is not my notes, but at some point in your life, you're going to have an Asher in the hospital. At some point in your life, there's going to be the facts coming in all around you, telling you why the divorce is going to happen or why you're going to get sick or why your child's not going to be. At some point. If you don't have the word inside of you, it's not going to come out when you need it the most. Thank God I had the word inside of me. That was the only answer. Thank God I put it inside of me. So when I needed it, it was able to come out. change the entire atmosphere of the hospital room. uh, Faith over facts, faith over feelings faith over fear, and only then will you see your dreams come true. Amen? Amen. Okay, that's it.